Hello, and welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, writer and editor of Sharp Football Analysis, and I am joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar, our fantasy writer at Sharp Football Analysis. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what is happening, brother? We are here in June. Uh, we are almost halfway through probably the, the most tumultuous year of most of our lives. Uh, but you know, we're going to make it. We're pushing strong. Uh, you know, obviously, we're not going to delve too deep into anything outside of the football world here. Uh, but, you know, you'll definitely just, you know, hey, have a little empathy, treat everyone, you know, the way you want to be treated. And that's all we'll touch on there. But it's, you know, hey, we're closing in here. Summertime, we're going to get the, maybe some of these team facilities opening up and, you know, maybe some football kind of news trickle in as some of these guys potentially get to work out with each other a little bit uh you know over this early course of the summer yeah absolutely and i think we've seen over the past couple days there's been some signs that there are going to be the football practices and and players are going to be able to get in which uh, is going to be you know nice for us in the long run i think come september i think there's there's some good signs uh, heading that way. So uh, for our past couple episodes, we've been doing some like top-down overviews of some fantasy leagues that you could be looking into. We've done episodes on Dynasty. We've done episodes on Best Ball. You can find those on our podcast feed if you have not listened to those. Uh, today, we're going to dive in a little more uh, player-specific. We are going to be looking at some players we believe have been either misused or mismanaged or are just kind of frustrating. This can be in the fantasy sense, and if they're used a little better, it can help fantasy, it can help uh, their sense in real football. So that's how we're going to, that's what we're going to be focusing on for this show, just kind of bouncing back and forth, figuring out some players of how they have been used, what was wrong with it, and how we hope they can possibly be used in the future. So, Rich, why don't we just dive in? Why don't we go to your first guy who you believe has been misused and we can kind of hope for a fantasy sense he'll be used a little better this year? Yeah, my first guy that I'm going to bring up, and, you know, a lot of these players are actually good players already. We're not going to go to the depths of, you know, guys, some some like wide receiver four that we believe is getting mismanaged. These are guys that are actually functional players and are good players that are intriguing fantasy options and intriguing real players, but we believe still just haven't, you know, been maximized yet fully in the NFL. That's kind of the where we're operating in terms of the show and kind of our ideology here. So the first guy I'm going to talk about is um, Joe Mixon. You know, Mixon is one of these guys that is one of those, you know, three down, should be an all-purpose, you know, usage type of player, but it just hasn't happened so far early in his career. And you go back to college, you know, even playing with Samaj P. Ryan, I mean, this is a guy that averaged just under 14 yards per catch with nine receiving touchdowns, you know, in college. But in the NFL, it just hasn't translated to them using him in the passing game at all. And we've seen him flash, you know, split, split out wide at, at times and, you know, he's caught – so he, I remember that game in his rookie season. He caught that touchdown against the Dolphins to win the game on, a, on like, a wheel route. It just hasn't happened, though. He's, he's finished no higher than 25th among running backs and receiving points per game over his first three seasons in the league. Over the past two years, as just the lead back in the offense in totality. He's ranked just 21st and 17 amongst all running backs um, in routes run. Uh, over the over the course of the season and you think about last year even when he popped and the team fully leaned in kind of into him being the focal point of the offense he still ran fewer pass routes uh, than Gio Bernard weeks 10 through 17 and when you look at what he did over weeks 10 through 17 last season Mixon had 49.9 percent of the Cincinnati Bengals team touches 
And he had 193 touches over the span for just under 1,000 yards from scrimmage, 994 yards from scrimmage. Only Christian McCaffrey had more opportunities and more yards from scrimmage than Mixon over that span of the season. And that was with him not even getting any type of passing game usage, still being used behind Gio Bernard. So, I mean – we're hoping that maybe, you know, with the contract year narrative, you know, the, the switch to Joe Burrow, a guy who frequently, you know, used a, a strong pass catching back like Clyde Edwards Hilaire in college, you know, he can kind of unlock that usage for Mixon that we know exists. We've seen it flash in college. I mean, especially when you go back to that old, remember that shootout that Mahomes and Mayfield had and like what Mixon did in that game, receiving the ball. I think he had three receiving touchdowns in that game, but we just haven't seen him kind of get over that apex in the receiving game. And that's what he needs to do to get up into like that top five type of ceiling range that we know kind of exists for him in a range of outcomes, but just hasn't been there because they haven't, you know, used him in that passing game role. So much of that comes from uh, the passing game, and you, you just kind of hope that is going to be what they they bring in, and it's going to be an added element. And I think Cincinnati is just one of those offenses. We really don't know what it's supposed to look like because of everything last year, just um, from the Andy Dalton being benched, and you had Ryan Finley in there, and Ryan Finley is not the guy you want He's the guy you want at quarterback if your intention is to get Joe Burrow for the next year, uh, but he's not the guy you really want at quarterback running uh, what you think is going to be a fantasy-efficient offense. Um, but I, So I think a lot of people have kind of been saying, we don't really know what Zach Taylor is, but kind of watching what that offense was structurally, I, I think there is some pieces that we can think of that are going to be beneficial for Mixon and the, and the rest of that offense going forward. And I think Zach Taylor is kind of that Sean McVay disciple of a guy who is going to run that 11 personnel uh, as much as he can. And that is going to set up the running game. They're going to use that personnel to set up the running game on early downs last year. So that's first and second down the Bengals had the fourth lowest rate of runs into uh, into stack boxes. And that's, that's a Sean McVay thing. They don't want to be running into uh, stack boxes. We know that running against stack boxes, uh, just that alone uh, makes running less efficient than it already is. So that is something I think we can see. And now once the offense is going to be moving a little more, I think defense is going to be worried a little more about the pass with more receiving production, more, um, the, more production at quarterback, they're actually going to be scared of that. I think not running into those stack boxes, they were one of the highest in rates running into white boxes. They were seventh in uh, the percentage of runs into white boxes. So that is something that structurally we know about the Bengals offense and I think is going to help out Joe Mixon uh, next year, even if that receiving production isn't maybe where we would like it in a fantasy level. Um, so, and my next guy is going to be something it's similar. The receiving volume is there. The rushing volume is there, but the just overall way he is used uh, has not been great. And that is Saquon Barkley. And it may be crazy to say that just we think Saquon Barkley is being misused. Uh, he's number two overall pick. He's still a fantasy 
superstar. Anyone who has drafted him in fantasy has not been disappointed by what he was, even though there probably are some weeks last year. I'm speaking as a Saquon Barkley owner last year of <laughs> some, some weeks where I did not show up even without the injuries. But it's just kind of the way he has been used. So many passes behind the line of scrimmage, so many swing passes when Barkley is you know, a legitimate route runner. And also how he's used in the way uh, he's set up to run. So last year, the Giants had were one of the heaviest teams running up the middle. Uh, and when they ran up the middle, they averaged 3.63 uh, yards per carry. And yards per carry, not the greatest stat, um, but we're just going to use that for right now. Uh, they ranked 32nd in plays that went outside to left end, and they were 17th in plays that went to the right end. On plays that went to the right end, they averaged 7.87 yards per attempt, which was first in the league, and 6.85 yards per attempt to uh, runs to the left end, which was second in the league. So if you allow Barkley to maybe get those outside lanes a little more, that's where those big Barkley runs are coming from, and not the two yard and fall down up the up the middle, but Barkley is a good, he can be a good up the middle runner. Um, but those, those outside runs are where those big plays are going to break off. The Giants just didn't do that enough. One thing that might be uh, good for the next season is you, with Jason Garrett. Um, I'm not going to say that very often. Um, a good thing with Jason Garrett, but uh, even in his years before Kellen Moore, the Cowboys were very versatile in the gaps where their runs were. So we might be able to see a little more of Barkley to the outside where some of their strong suits are and where he can get into space and those big runs can come at a, at a bigger clip. Yeah, I mean, Saquon, we know he wants to hit that home run. I also think, too, yeah, I mean, in the passing game, too, you look at how he was used last year, and it was something I was kind of – I wasn't concerned about it because, you know, they're still going to throw to Saquon Barkley. But, you know, switching from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones, uh, we saw just his, his overall usage in the pass game kind of decline. We went from 20.2% of the team target share – all the way to 14.5% per game he played last year. Uh, you know, he, he still was seventh in the, amongst running backs in targets, 5.6 targets per game. Uh, but he, you know, he's kind of felt a ninth in receiving points per game, 8.3 receiving points per game. He had 7.6 targets and 11.7 receiving points per game in 2018. So his usage did get shaved down quite a bit in the passing game in that changeover. You know, and, and you think about how he was used, I want to see Saquon get used a little more versatile in the receiving game downfield. You think about that, that game against Washington, he had that monster game to close the season, and you see him get that, that downfield end zone target. Uh, that was, I mean, that might be the only target I can recollect him getting like that kind of all season, um, and we need to see him, you know, kind of, he should be used like that, more of a weapon in the passing game downfield and using him more. He's because he's capable of being used as a, an all-around asset, at, like like a Christian McCaffrey is, and you know definitely we see guys like Austin Eckler get used. He's that that kind of player, uh, you know Saquon is because he's a, he's basically made in a lab. Uh, but yeah, I mean seeing his receiving usage drop last year was also played a big role in some like you said that lull that he had paired with that ankle injury. Um, hopefully we kind of see Daniel Jones kind of like you said because he was so good getting the ball out of his hands. Uh, when he took those short drops, hopefully we kind of see it not just be checkdowns to Saquon, but he's actually used as a versatile option in the past game. And hopefully the quarterback play will be a little better. I'm looking at some SIS stats right now. Barkley was actually targeted the most of running backs on wheel routes. He had seven targets. Uh, Aaron Jones, 
Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler were second with six and five, but only three of Barkley's seven wheel routes were considered catchable, and that's a crime right there. Um, how you can only have three catchable wheel routes. The wheel route is automatic. Uh, it's, it's open all the time. How you can only have three of seven. And he only had one reception there. It's just, it's, uh, it was a lot of things that went wrong for Barkley really the past two years. So we will uh, hopefully see how that goes going forward. Um, now let's move on. Rich, who is uh, your next guy you would like to bring up? Uh, my next guy is another player uh, that people, you know, has definitely played well, just got a new $100 million contract. It's uh, Amari Cooper. Uh, you know, one thing kind of the, the draft selection of C.D. Lamb, you know, kind of does, and we talked about a little before the show, is that it's going to allow these Dallas Cowboys wide receivers to be pretty versatile in terms of moving around the formation. They just don't have a guy like Randall Cobb who has to play the slot. They can move these guys and mix and match these guys. And a lot of, they can do a lot of different things personnel-wise. And Lamb himself has some slot experience in college. 26% of his senior snaps, senior season snaps came from the slot. But I'm more interested in how it can add flexibility to the use of Cooper. Uh, since joining the Cowboys, Cooper's run just 14.8% of his routes from the slot after a little over 20% with the Raiders. And in the slot for the Cowboys, Cooper's averaged 17.4 yards per catch, 2.7 yards per route run from working inside. And for his career stats, he's now averaging 2.4 yards per route run, 8.9 yards per target, and a 7% touchdown rate from the slot, as opposed to 1.8 yards per route, 8.6 yards per target, and a 5.3% touchdown rate uh, playing outside on the perimeter. So if you you could give him kind of that added flexibility too. It also ensures you from the disappear Amari games. And one of the bugaboos he's kind of had early in his career is that he's prone to kind of getting wiped out by physical corners. I mean, just going back to last year, he had four games against Darius Slay, Stephon Gilmore, Jalen Ramsey, and Marshawn Lattimore. And in those games, he combined for nine catches for 105 yards. Uh, you know, a friend of mine and, and yours does Matt Harmon does a reception perception, you know, study every year. And Amari Cooper's never scored higher than the 71st percentile in success rate versus man coverage in his studies and it's actually gone down throughout his career he's finished below the 22nd percentile in press coverage in two of his last three seasons so now if we can get move him around and get him some more free releases especially in these games where he runs into these sticky matchups um, you, you also get to let him challenge the defense in, in a lot variety of areas and not have him your hundred dollar hundred million dollar man get wiped out you know by just good cornerbacks I think one of the really cool things about this Dallas offense is how everyone can be moved around. I think we talked about this uh, with Warren on the Sharp Angles uh, podcast right after the draft of how kind of excited we were when CeeDee Lamb was drafted. Um, because last year, Michael Gallup was also better from the slot. I think that's true of a lot of wide receivers. You get these guys who can dominate on the outside. You move them into the slot. They have these two-way goes. Not all the time is the number one corner who may be shadowing them otherwise on the outside moving into the slot. So you're working with sometimes a lesser corner there. Um, and it, they get a little more optionality. They, they get a little more free reign of what they're able to do. That's why Cooper has been better at some points in his career. Gallup was better last year. And C.D. Lamb um, last year at Oklahoma, 27% of his routes were from the slot. So I think you're going to have this Cowboys rotation of three really good wide receivers who can move all around. And I think you can get the 30% of each guy's routes from the slot um, and defense is going to have no idea how to defend that who should be defending who which corner should be staying on the outside which corner should be going into the slot that's really something um, the 
the Cowboys offense can be doing really well next year. And I think it's going to benefit all three wide receivers, Cooper, definitely and Gallup and Lamb also. And so let's move on to my next guy, which just hang on after I say it, but it's, it's Kyler Murray. And not that I think Kyler was bad at all or will not be good uh, or that the offense wasn't good. Um, it's just there are some things, and especially since we are thinking so much about how Kyler Murray is that next guy in line to take on the, the Patrick Mahomes, the Lamar Jackson uh, second-year leap into a fantasy superstar and is MVP. I think we kind of talked about that, how that, that might be a little far-fetched. But oh, I think when we see – the usage of what Murray had last year and what the Cardinals did as a whole. And I wrote during the season, one of the coolest things about Cliff Kingsbury is how adaptable he was during the season. So there were some things that weren't working in the beginning of the year and they made them work toward the end of the year. And it was a much better offense toward the end of the year, but still there were, there were some things that you could would like to see improved upon a little bit in the passing offense. And, and we kind of hope that's going to be what that is like for the upcoming season but I think the thing that really sort of you know either not so much bothered you about Murray but kind of made you wish there was a little more there was how short his throws were last year he wasn't throwing deep as much as you would like part of that was some of the wide receivers and it's understandable why that would be the case uh but also Murray has such a strong arm he's so accurate down the field you would like to see that more last year um so per next-gen stats, uh, Murray's average completion was 5.1 yards. The only quarterbacks who qualified who had shorter average completions were Derek Carr, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, Devlin Hodges, and Mason Rudolph. That is not a group you want to see Kyler Murray associated with. And so much of that was part of the offense and how much Arizona went behind the line of scrimmage. Um, They wed the league in screens, um, but just on first downs, 41% of Arizona's throws last year were at or behind the line of scrimmage on first down. Um, That was led the league by a significant margin. The Steelers with Hodges and... um, and Rudolph were second at 36%. Um, and so that, that's just something you would like to see. We know value on the field comes from throwing the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. And you have someone like Kyler who has that ability to throw beyond the line of scrimmage. So that's just something I, I would like to see. It's not something that is holding Kyler back from being a, a good player. He's already a good player. But if we want to see him take that leap into that superstar level that a lot of people have already assumed he is at right now I think that's something we would like to see going forward it's interesting with Kyler last year because you know as 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 promising as his rookie season was he his his actual passing statistics just weren't weren't strong at all by any measure I mean are the ones we care about I mean it's yards per attempt you know it was under seven uh, it was below guys like Joe Flacco. It was below Gardner Minshew. It was below Teddy Bridgewater, Eli Manning. Uh, you know, th- that, was, that held true. You know, part of that, like you said, is the receiver play. And then, but also concepts, like you said. I mean, they're throwing the ball short of the line of scrimmage on first down especially. Uh, and, you know, Kyler's a guy who just is such a good natural thrower and they can move platforms and take these deep shots. I mean, you think of that deep ball he threw to Demir Bird, I believe it was the game against the Falcons, uh, was just like you see the upside that you can still have. And, you know, a guy like Christian Kirk was never utilized downfield uh, the way he even was the year before in that offense. You know, they run a lot of mesh and a lot of, you know, 
you know, crossers and drags and stuff. But uh, they got to get the ball downfield some more here. I mean, he was 26th in passing points per game last year for fantasy. Uh, really leaned on his rushing to kind of anchor his floor. Uh, 12.8 passing points per game. It was below Kyle Allen. It was below Gardner Minshew. He was 33rd in passing points per pass attempt uh, for fantasy, but behind Jacoby Brissett. Jared Goff, Sam Darnold. That's the company he's keeping. Like, it's a similar company to what you talked about earlier. Um, we know that the upside there and that DeAndre Hopkins is a big addition to kind of getting into that next step forward and gaining some of that efficiency. But you're right about the, the passing ceiling. Like, it needs to still come attach a scheme on pushing the ball downfield, uh, which is something I still think is I'm kind of hesitant on believing the Cardinals are going to do. Because if you look at the way Hopkins was used last year, he had the lowest depth of target of his career uh, and was used more in the intermediate fashion and, you know, kind of not in a similar way he was used up into his career. And granted, they had guys like uh, Kenny Stills and Will Fuller, and he didn't have to do that as much. But uh, it's it, it still, he was used that way as well. And, you know, he's not a guy that also is going to be running, you know, a 15 plus eight out anyways. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for Kyler because, like you said, the, the price tag is for fantasy expensive. The hype in reality is is high. As you talk about some of these MVP odds and the popularity he's gone uh, gotten initially for these MVP bets. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There still is a lot more to be harnessed, one, in that offense, and then, two, to, to, to bring him up as a passer. Yeah, and it's not something that we're, we're not trying to say this is going to be bad. I think we both love Kyler. I know I love Kyler a, a lot. I would love to see him do way more. I want to see him throw down the field more, which is kind of why you know, we're talking about this, guys, that we would like to see use in just a slightly different role. And just to get back to, to the screens thing, the Cardinals ran 97 screens last year. The next highest were the Browns at 75. Like that is that is a crazy difference uh, between how often the Cardinals were running screens, um, and they were one of the few teams that were really able to make wide receiver screens work. Uh, they had positive uh, EPA per attempt, which not a lot of teams did um, in that the area. Uh, their running back screens weren't as effective, which is interesting because they were so good at making running back runs efficient, which other teams were not. Um, but that is something I would like to see them uh, cut down on the screens, throw beyond the line of scrimmage a little more, and and make the offense just a, a little more valuable in, in the passing game. Because I think so much of what the passing, the offensive efficiency for Arizona was last year was on the ground. That was, again, the white boxes. That was Kenyon Drake having a great year. There were some Chase Edmonds games. Uh, and it was Kyler on the ground also. He's a very good runner. That's why the fantasy floor is going to be so high because Kyler has that. But if he's going to have that passing upside, we want to see him passing beyond the line of scrimmage a little more. Um, so our next guy, Rich, why don't you dive into who we have? I think we, we both agreed with uh, who we wanted to talk about at tight end here. Yeah, this was a, a, a mutual, you know, kind of a understanding here who we were going to talk about at tight end. And uh, it's Evan Ingram, uh, another player that we talked about. I mean, just we talked about, the, you know, Mixon and how he was used in college and, you know, we're what he brings to the table, you know, in the passing game that hasn't happened in the NFL. Well, remember Evan Ingram coming out was basically thought of like as a more wide receiver than tight end, uh, you know, basically played slot receiver at Old Miss. They used him down the field uh, with downfield targets, and that just hasn't happened in the NFL. Um, 
you just look at the past two years, he's had the past season, he had a six point six and a half yard average depth of target that was below Jason Witten. The year before, he had a five and a half yard uh, average depth of target, which was below Jack Doyle that season. So he's getting used in like these intermediate fashion. Like, he's been able to produce on X. He has, you know, more yak ability because he is, he is athletic, but. The past two years, he's had nine combined targets uh, of 20-plus yards downfield uh, amongst all tight ends. Dawson Knox had 10 just last year. I mean, Evan Ingram's just not getting he's, – he's being used as this, like, near-the-line-of-scrimmage tertiary target instead of an actual mismatch uh, chess piece. And uh, it's really hurting him uh, from a fantasy sense and has to rely on these receptions. He also isn't being used near the end zone which is kind of a problem as well. Uh, and you've seen he's, he just has the six touchdowns over his past 19 games the past few seasons after scoring six times as a rookie, um, which has kind of, you know, hindered his upside a little bit. He's been actually more of a floor fantasy player built on, like, receptions when he shouldn't be that at all. He should be this big, you know, movable piece uh, that has high upside, and that has not been the case for Evan Ingram. Um, and then uh, I'm real curious to get your take, too, and his fit with Daniel Jones. Uh, because, you know, the first game when Daniel Jones started against the Buccaneers, it looked like Evan Ingram was going to – he was used in all those things we talked about. He had arguably one of the best games of his career in terms of darnfield targets and making plays. Obviously, the one-handed catch sticks out and the catch and run for the touchdown. Um, but then if you look at the rest of the games Daniel Jones played, Evan Ingram was a disaster and was used just like we talked about uh, before. So I'm curious to see how that fits. Because uh, over the other five games he played with Daniel Jones, he had just 21 combined catches for 100 and 90 yards, uh, that's not how we want to see Evan Ingram utilized in the NFL, especially for fantasy and reality. Ingram is fascinating because he's so frustrating. Um, you just have this guy who's – his ability is – he's this big guy who is super fast and can get downfield and can uh, either run past linebackers and body defensive backs. That, that's why he was drafted in the first round. That's what he did. In college, and the Giants have just not used him in that way at all. And even in that that week three game against Tampa Bay, the, the first Daniel Jones start, he had that nice wide cross down the field. It was a downfield target. Everyone saw that. But still, in that game, his average depth of target just four point five yards, um, which was one of the lowest of that week. So you still saw all the other targets were still so close to the line of scrimmage, even though he flashed that one play um, that showed what he should be able to do. And, and that is what he should be able to do. Uh, so frustrating. They're just watching him run like 10 drag routes a game. Um, that's, that's not what he should be used for, especially with the Giants right now. They don't really have another downfield threat. Um, they kind of have Darius Slayton, who, um, who was – he was okay. Daniel Jones, not the greatest deep thrower. Um, so I think they, they should be using him more. I think what you would like to see, another thing that I'm kind of maybe saying Jason Garrett will help a little bit is I think those downfield routes will be there. Um, Garrett runs a little more of a vertical offense, whether that's going to be good for the offense in general with uh, Daniel Jones having more time to process in the pocket. I think we've talked about that. That might not be the greatest idea all the time. Um, but Evan Ingram is going to be running downfield more. So I think that should help. So even if the targets decrease a little bit, I think the value on those targets and the potential points on those targets are going to be higher. And what Evan Ingram last year had a lower A dot than Jason Witten did. Uh, and Jason Witten uh, cannot run. 
Um, I think we, we all are aware of Jason Witten's physical skills at the moment. Um, and he had a higher A dot uh, in the Cowboys offense last year than Evan Ingram did in the Giants offense. So I think we will see a little more downfield ability from Evan Ingram. Um, I think the question will now be whether the offense can, can capitalize on that. But I think Ingram is going to be in a position where, where that should be able to um, be something that he is in a better position to take advantage. I think we'll see some more downfield routes and that is something we would all like to see. So do you, do you think that this is what we talked about this recent, even Ingram usage is what we're going to see happen to Noah Fant with Pat Shermer? Yeah, it, it might be. I, I'm, I'm really not sure the, the Pat Shermer offense is kind of just a, it's, it's a complete mystery. Uh, one week it would be like, yes, that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. And then the next week you're like, what, what was that? Um, I think with Drew Locke, there's probably going to be a, a little more uh, downfield aggression than there was uh, last year with Jones and, and especially the, the Eli, the version of Eli Manning we saw uh, in the 2018 and the like three games he played in, in 2019 is just, um, the the mental clock there was I need to get this ball out in a half a second and if not I'm going to be hit um, and that completely derailed the offense uh, completely so there wasn't a lot of structure even able to be uh, completed off of that um, so I think we might see a little difference uh, there but yeah don't don't expect a lot of of downfield uh, a lot of seam routes for for Noah Fant next year. Rich, let's. Let's go home with the one guy a fantasy a podcast could not go on about misused players. Um, we could not go on without talking about Duke Johnson. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta give one out because if you're gonna talk about misused NFL players, he's the poster boy. We've all screamed for it time and time again, and you know we we understand like we, we lost on Duke Johnson. He's had multiple regimes now use him in the same fashion. Even last year, if their team traded a draft pick for him, they they signed Carlos Hyde off the streets. We might have lost, uh, but we weren't wrong. <laughs> yeah, but we are not wrong, man. I mean, you look at the past year, so I mean. Uh, since entering the league in 2015, his 7.1 yards per target ranked seventh at the position, his 9.3 yards reception is eighth all running backs, have 100 plus targets over that span. He's also a better uh, running back than he's ever been given a shot. I mean, he's had double digit carries now in just four career games. His career high of carries in a game is 13. Through five NLC, NFL seasons, Duke Johnson has 382 rushing attempts in five years. In three years at Miami, he had 526 carries, 242 in his senior season. Um, this guy should be Austin Eckler. He should be in the 100-plus range in carries and used as a dual-threat option. And, um, of course, he is saddled next to Bill O'Brien and now is, is basically going to be cannibalized again by a player that actually the one component that David Johnson actually was successful in a year ago was running or receiving the football instead of running it. So it'd be interesting to see how he fits. But uh, like I said, we lost on Duke Johnson, but I, we were never wrong. Absolutely. I think the craziest thing to look at is Duke Johnson's still 26 years old. He's not going to turn 27 until September. I, I will not talk myself into this, but I am just letting that out there as a fact that Duke Johnson still not yet 27 years old. Um, man like what what's going on uh, it's just going to be so frustrating watching him in a bill o'brien offense for for a full year um watching anyone in a bill o'brien offense uh, for a full year um this entire podcast of misused players probably could have been players in 
Bill O'Brien offenses. Um, but I think that might be a podcast for uh, a different time. So we are going to end this episode here. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, giving part of your day uh, to us. We hope this uh, helped out in, in some way. Um, you can read all our content or rich continuing to do a great dynasty series on uh, buy, sell, or hold on uh, some players. You know, that's all up on Shark Football Analysis. Um, you can find both of our work there. You can follow Shark Football Analysis on Twitter at Sharp FB Analysis. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.